0: Please open your Bibles to the book of James, a letter from James, chapter 1. James in chapter 1. While you're turning there, I came across a story originally found in the Chicago Sun Times several years ago, picked up by the Associated Press, and it's about a pig a pig that traveled on a six-hour flight from Philadelphia to Seattle, and he didn't ride coach. Two passengers convinced this particular airline representative that the pig needed to fly with them as, quote-unquote, a therapeutic companion pet, something like a seeing-eye dog. And the pig was permitted to sit with them in the first class cabin of the plane. Well, passengers would eventually describe this 300 pound pig as an enormous, the quote, an enormous brown, angry, and honking, end quote. He was seated in three seats near the front of the plane along with his companion but the attendants reportedly had difficulty strapping him in. Quote, one passenger said, It became restless after takeoff and sauntered through the cabin. And he kept rubbing his nose on people's legs, trying to get them to give him food and to stroke him. End quote. He thought your flight was rough last time. Well, upon landing at the end of the trip, things only got worse. The reporter says that, quote, the pig panicked, running up and down through the economy class, squealing, end quote. And that caused many passengers to start screaming and even stand on their seats at the landing. It took four attendants to escort the pig off the plane and then he escaped upon reaching the terminal. He was later recaptured. That's the story. I was at the airport twice yesterday, and I didn't see anyone running out, nor a pig straying around. Well, when asked to comment on the story, this particular airline spokesman has the name David Castlevelter said, quote, We can confirm that the pig traveled and we can also confirm that will never happen again." End quote. At one time or another, each of us has done something that seemed right at the time, but we later have said that will never happen again." Can you relate? Can you relate? You ever experienced regret? Do you ever feel like you've missed the boat again? And the fact is, the holidays like we find ourselves in the middle of right now, the Christmas time, can totally knock each one of us off of our game. I mean, we need to admit it. I even have to admit it, that often I realize too late that I missed the boat regarding the reason for the season. I mean, I can get ready for it, and I can get into it. And I can find myself coming up to the very week of Christmas like we are right now. I can have all the presents bought. I can have all the playlists created. I can have all the sweets ordered. I can have all the messages written. I can have all the decorations up, everything plugged in, the trips planned, only to find myself in a blink that it's December 26th, and I missed it again. I missed it again. So during this particular service, a special service, I want to give you a pastoral chat this morning. As we have cinched our way up to the day where we're ushering in the Christmas week in front of us, the next time we're together in this room, it will be Christmas Day, a pastoral chat to all of us is this. Let's don't miss it this year. Let's don't miss it this year. As a matter of fact, I want to talk to you along these lines this morning. And those are supposed to be white letters. They changed from computers. They read, don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember. What I want to do is I want to give you five reminders. Give all of us five reminders today. And with each reminder, I'm going to give you one passage of scripture to go with your coffee as you press your Your way through this coming week to make sure that you don't miss Christmas this week and this year. A couple of pastoral reminders. First of all, in all the gifts, don't forget God's. This is what we've been singing about this morning. This is how James launched our service. This is what the scripture readings have been about. The children have preached this message to us. It's an important message. It's real. It needs to be remembered. And all the gifts don't forget God's. You see, what do you mean by this? What do you mean by this pithy statement? It's more than that. I mean, in every gift that you receive in the next week, remember Calvary. Remember Calvary, Your Bible's open to James chapter one to the to the next oldest son of Mary and Joseph. This is from James, and I love what I read in verses sixteen through eighteen. Look at this this text: "Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given, and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of Lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. I love this phrase. I love that, that title for our Lord, the Father of lights. You say, what does that mean? That's, that's, a, that's an, an ancient way of expressing that God is the creator, not just of the earth, but of the heavens. He's the father of the lights. And back in these days, they would look up in the sky and and they would have the lights of of heaven at night. And outside of candlelit um, uh, sources, oil lamps on earth, that was the major light at night. was what was shining down from heaven. And what James is saying is this, You want to know who the greatest gift giver ever was? It's our Creator. Look up. He's the Father of lights. But there's also another meaning to that title for God. And it's this. As you look at the Father of lights, the Creator, your Heavenly Father, you notice something about the heavenly bodies. They move around. They move around through the evening. It appears from our standpoint that they're moving as the earth is rotating. And it all, they also change with the seasons. I mean, whatever light bearers are in the heavens, uh, the moon and, and the stars at night, they're always changing position. And James has learned something about the Father of lights, the greatest gift giver. And it's this. He doesn't shift and change all the time, Like his creation does. As the heavenly lights change, we understand that our Father is not like that. He never changes. His posture is always righteous, it's always perfect. So, with the meaning of Father of Lights in place in your mind, now look at the verse again, verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of Lights with whom there's no change or variation or shifting shadow he is consistent. And what's the first gift that James mentions after giving that title the father of lights? It's salvation. Look at verse 18 again. You see, it's in the exercise of his will the father of lights he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures, he says, You want to remember the greatest gift that you've ever received? It's from the Father of Lights, the perfect gift giver, and it's eternal life. It was his will that you be born again, and there will be more after you, he writes. And every gift you received this week, remember Calvary. Remember what happened there. You know, one. One evening, the reformer, the German reformer Martin Luther, was having his family devotions. He had his wife and his children nearby, and and he read the account of Abraham offering Isaac on the altar, you know, Genesis chapter 22. And as soon as he read that passage, his wife Katie said, I don't believe it. God would not have treated his son like that. But Katie, Luther said, he did. The Father sent the Son, as, as Andy read in Philippians chapter 2, he sent his Son to go to the cross to die and to rise again. That's the greatest gift from the greatest gift giver himself. You know, I could ask you, what's the greatest gift you ever got for Christmas? As a child or as an adult? You know, my mind easily gets busy. I I remember the TRS-80 computer from Radio Shack that my dad gave me in, I believe it was 1984. I remember golf clubs given to me that are still to this day in my garage in mint condition. (laughs) And which buck knife do you want me to tell you about? I remember when I was real young, around seven or eight, getting the Ready Ranger backpack. I was ready to take on all the bad guys and Mount Everest. I remember my uncle giving me a a Lionel train set because he was a collector, and he gave me a nice one. Those are great gifts. Every last one of them, except the golf clubs, are gone. They're gone. They impacted me for several hours and days and maybe, maybe a few years. But the Ready Ranger pack is gone. The TRS-80 computer is thankfully gone. Lionel train drove off and I never saw it again. But the greatest gift I've ever received, the greatest gift you've ever received, is eternal. I read from Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him, God, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Or in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. I read from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, who Himself, Jesus, bore our sins in His own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, may live For righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Every time you open a present, in the next few days, in the next week, remember Calvary. Whenever you sing about a little baby, remember the grown up baby. As John MacArthur put it in what is my favorite Christmas book, it's called God with Us, written in the 90s. He writes this Here's a side to the Christmas story that isn't often told. Those soft little hands, fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb, were made so that nails might be driven through them. Those baby feet, pink and unable to walk, would one day walk up a dusty hill to be nailed to a cross. That sweet infant's head, with the sparkling eyes and the eager mouth, were formed so that someday men might force a crown of thorns onto it. That tender body, warm and soft, wrapped in swaddling clothes, cloths, would one day be ripped open by a spear. Jesus was born to die. So with every gift you open this week, remember Calvary, but also with every gift you open this week, Reconsider your commitment to the Lordship of Jesus. Reconsider that. I, I read an interesting, um, an interesting truth and a challenge from the Apostle Paul's pen in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. Paul says, The love of Christ, his love in going to the cross, the love of Christ compels us. It captures us. It controls us. You say, in what way? He continues, because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And those words capture me, because my mind goes back to Christmas morning of 1989. My wife and I, my new wife at that point, for several months, and I had just... Gotten home late Christmas Eve evening from Ford Hospital in Detroit, up to Clarkston. We had spent that day with my dad, who was uh, fighting for his life. And when my cousin, Tom, came, he said, I'll stay the night with, with your dad. You go home and get some rest. We got home late Christmas Eve. We had come home from South Carolina a week and a half earlier, we thought, just to go through Christmas and be together with family. My sisters were coming in from different states as well, and we were going to have Christmas in, in Clarkston, and, and all our Christmas shopping was already done, you know, and, and when we got home, Dad came down the, the night we got home and said, will you be able to take me to the hospital tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, why? And I noticed he was winded, and he says, I got to go for some tests. Mom's sitting here. She's just listening. You know, I mean, she knew that he was going to ask us for a ride. We're like, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll drive you in there. And so I drove him to Ford Hospital, waited in the waiting room. And, and then uh, after the tests were done, um, the doctor came out. And, and I said, hey, doc, I just got a question for you. I'm standing there with my mom. I said, what kind of test did you have to run on my dad this morning, this close to Christmas? And she looked at me. I remember her first name was Tony still. And I said, "Um, "What kind of tests?" And she looked at me and was just shocked. She says, "Tests? We're not we're not running tests on your dad. Your dad has acute leukemia. He's known it since October. It's it's an advanced case, and there's a good chance he's not going to make it." I'm just taking this in. I didn't see this coming. Mom was getting the rest of the news. Dad had been protecting her from some of the information. And we're digesting this. I'm like, "What did I just hear?" And so he ended up going, uh, staying there in the hospital and and then, uh, and then and, and went through a, a blood transfusion. And, and the doctor told me, we're going to take him to death's door. He's got to fight his way back. That's how this works. So we were with him through those days. We had said no to visitors, except uh, family, and we were with him. I prayed the Lord would give me an opportunity to share the gospel with him again, and he gave it to me. And... and uh, and it was at Christmas Eve. Tom comes in, my cousin, says, you guys, you and Lori can go home. I'll sit with your dad through the night. And it was at 6 o'clock the next morning, Christmas morning, get a phone call. And dad had gone. He had passed away. And I remember I was in, I was taking a shower. We had gotten up early to go in and my wife came in and told me, your, your dad's gone. And, and, and so we finished getting ready and got in a car and drove from Clarkston to Ford Hospital in Detroit and, And uh, it was just surreal. It was surreal. Dad's gone. First parent I've lost. 22 years old. And and so after spending some time there, as was necessary, as a family, um, we made our way back home because my nephews and nieces were still back at the house. And uh, we had to have Christmas that morning still. And somehow make it sweet for them still. So we came back to the house, and and the Lord was kind to us as a family. We had Christmas; the, the little kids were there, and and uh, it was a it was a enjoyable Christmas morning. But obviously, something huge was missing. It was Dad. And if that weren't enough, something else happened that I I wasn't ready for during that Christmas. Not only had I brought presents wrapped for my dad that remained unopened that morning, but I received presents from my dad, who was no longer there. He had prepared for Christmas. And I'm opening these gifts from him. And the first thought that go, comes to my mind, you know what it is? I wish you were here, because I would love to embrace him and tell him I love him and Merry Christmas and thank him for his amazing gifts and generosity. And that's a frustration I've just had to live with and, and, and work through. My dad gave to me after he was gone. But that's not a frustration that I bring to my heavenly father. You see, not only did Paul write what I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul also wrote these words in Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Just in these two passages alone, Paul has said, you've received the greatest gift, and there's one proper response to it, and it's to yield your life to the absolute lordship of Christ, of the Father. So every time you open a present this week, Remember Calvary. And then quickly on the heels of that, reconsider your submission to the Lordship of Christ because that's your thank you. That's your I love you. It was Jesus that said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I wonder if, whether you're watching online or listening to this or here with me in this room, have you accepted this free gift of eternal life? I mean, I ask you this every week. Some of you hear me ask this every single time you're in the room. Others, it's the first time, because it's the first time you've visited with us or tuned in. But every week I stand at this desk. I'm aware that there are unsafe people here in our room with us. Oh, you might be religious, and you might have stellar attendance and be on the roll, but you're not regenerated. You still have yet... To have a life-transforming faith and repentance. And the new birth in your life. And so here's my profound reminder to you that the gospel is ready to be received by you right now. You want to hear the profound reminder? The children already gave it. It's the verse that you heard from John 3. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... That whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Any questions? You see, it's so simple. It's so simple. It's so profound. It's life changing and eternity reaching. It's way beyond religion. It's far beyond being part of a church that had a Christian school. This is something between you and Jesus. And so you're gonna open some gifts this week, maybe. Every time you do, those of you who are Christians, remember Calvary. And reconsider your submission to the Lordship of Christ. If you're not a Christian, every time you open a present this week, there's a present waiting for you to be unwrapped. There's a present that if you open it, it's only because God has presented it to you and gave you the desire to open it. As well as save you. That's the first reminder for this week. And all the gifts, don't forget God's. Second reminder, the rest will go quickly. In all the hustle, don't forget the hush. You see, what do you mean by this? Here's your coffee verse for this. It's Luke chapter 5, and it's actually two verses. Luke chapter 5, verses 15 through 16. You say, I'm so busy this week. I can't slow down. I can't can't study my gaze to even focus on the meaning of Christmas because I'm doing Christmas for everyone else. You ever feel like that? You feel like you're having that kind of a day? You're so busy? Well, let me tell you something. You think you're busy. Just try walking around in Jesus' sandals for three hours maybe. Two hours. How about one hour? When we find him here in Luke chapter 5, he's ministering to multitudes. He's healing. He's teaching. As a matter of fact, look at Luke chapter 5 verse 15. And the news about him was spreading even farther. And larger crowds were gathering to him to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. You say, he's so busy. Yeah, I mean, he, can't, he can't find three seconds to spin around and do something for himself. Yes, he can. Verse 16, in that context, with all the, the hustle, Jesus knew how important it was to have a hush. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. And all the hustle of the, the Christmas season here in the West, here in our culture, don't forget the hush, the time alone with God this week. It's going to take extra effort. It's going to take a plan. If you just like nod right now at this point and say, hey, I should, I should do that, it won't happen. As you go to lunch today, you need to be thinking, when is this going to happen on Monday this week, the week before Christmas? What's this going to look like on Wednesday? What time and where will I be sitting and what am I going to be reading? It takes that kind of plan or it won't happen. You know, we go to the malls or the shopping centers right now and it's not uncommon to see the Salvation Army kettle, right? And the guy ringing or the lady ringing the bell by the kettle, trying to gain funds and relief for the poor. You might know the name William Booth. He's the founder of the Salvation Army. He lived from 1829 to 1912. He was an English Methodist preacher. When he was only 20 years old, so in 1849, just 20 years old, he wrote these words. I will rise every morning sufficiently early and have a few minutes, not less than five, in private prayer. I will also, number two, avoid all the babblings and idle talking in which I have lately so sinfully indulged. Number three, I will endeavor to conduct myself as a humble, meek, zealous follower of the bleeding lamb and by serious conversation and warning endeavor to lead others to think of their immortal souls. 20 years old. Number four, I will read no less than four chapters in God's word every day. Number five, I will strive to live closer to God and to seek after holiness of heart and leave providential events with God. I'm not going to control everything. Number six, I will read this over, what these, these resolutions, I will read these over every day at least twice a week. God help me and enable me to cultivate a spirit of self-denial and to yield myself a prisoner of love to the Redeemer of the world. Twenty years old. That's what having a plan looks like. It goes beyond agreement. It goes beyond assent. I'm saying as busy as you're going to be this week, and you're going to be busy. You're going to be busy reaching deadlines so that you can concentrate on Christmas next weekend. You're going to be busy interacting and dealing with all sorts of personalities. You're going to be busy with your own physical fatigue. And on top of all that, guess what? Your struggle with your private sin is still going to, uh, it's still going to be around for you to fight this week. You need spiritual help. And if Jesus knew he needed to pull away from the crowds to spend time with his Father, you do as well. The psalm writer put it this way Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you'll hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning I will direct it to you and I'll look up. And all the hurry, don't forget the hush. It takes extra effort and planning, but you're going to need the extra energy. Just trust me. You're going to get thirsty this week. And Psalm 42 reminds you, as the, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. What's a third reminder this week? In all the fellowship, don't forget the family. In all the fellowship, don't forget the family. Your coffee verse for this one is Proverbs chapter 15, verse 17. I'll just read it to you. Proverbs 15, verse 17. Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fatted ox served with hatred. I mean, you can focus on everything beyond the the peace of your home and of your family and miss your family. If the first two promises or the first two reminders are dealing with the first great command of loving God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, number three is the second great command. And in that group of your neighbors, your closest neighbors are those of your family. So I encourage you right now to set up unmovable pillars in your next eight days. Say pillars like what? Make sure that there are one or two, at least one or two free evenings with your family. Commitments not to overspend your budget. Not to miss physical rest and help your family experience it as well. I would even suggest that several times this week, if it's not your normal practice, that you have a time where you're reading the Christmas story together. And other passages of Scripture. Do something crazy as a family that you don't want anyone around to see. You don't want them to see how crazy you can get. I mean, it could be if we get the snow, they're calling for Thursday and Friday, you can be walking outside of Myers and just drop right there in, in the grass by the parking lot and throw down some major Christmas angels with your family and run away fast. Do something crazy together. Create a memory. Why don't you serve someone? Why don't we take uh, a lesson from our children, our Awana children, who visited 12 different homes yesterday, not only singing carols, but, but giving them gift baskets with freshly made bread and cookies and even some cookies that Connie Simpson had made preparations for. And then Connie's nieces also baked in her honor. Take a lesson from her children. Find someone that unless you had intervened into their day they wouldn't be able to celebrate that day and do it as a family well two more reminders in all the rejoicing don't forget the reality you see what's the coffee verse the coffee passage for this one it's not a pleasant one it's romans chapter 3 i'm just going to read you a few verses starting with verse 9 isn't this a blessing? It says there's, in verse 10, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. It says in verse 18, there's no fear of God before their eyes. The whole passage, starting in verse 9, going through verse 19, is bad news. It's talking about Jew and Gentile alike. are outside of Christ. They are dead in their sins and trespasses. See, why are you bringing that up? Because we're singing a lot of songs this coming week. Sing the songs of Christmas. Sing the songs with the unsaved even of the birth of Christ, because they're singing them too, but never lose sight of the reality that most of the English-speaking world is singing a song that they don't embrace. It's a lost world with temporary joy that will be gone December 26. These unsaved people are singing with you right now, let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room. They're singing it. They're singing with you, Oh, come thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. They're singing it with you. They're singing, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. They're singing it with you, and they're not saved. They're singing with you Hail the heaven born Prince of Peace. Hail the song of the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them what? Second birth. They're singing. They're singing, Then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord that hath made heaven and earth of naught and with his blood mankind hath sought. Sing it with them. You're rejoicing, but in singing it with them, you're witnessing. It's like what I read in Acts chapter 8. Remember Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? It says, Philip ran up and heard the eunuch reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, Well, how how could I? Unless someone guides me. He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does, this, does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and from the beginning of scriptures, he preached Jesus to him. Well, they're singing our songs right now. Don't give them false assurance that they've tasted the sweetness of the words they're singing. Those words are a signpost of the gospel. In all your rejoicing, take the open doors for evangelism since they're singing our songs right now. And one more. In all the music, don't forget the meaning. Your coffee coffee passage for this one is Luke chapter 1. You say, why Luke chapter 1? We've already read stuff from Luke in in this service. We have but I just wanted to reach back for what I consider to be the first Christmas song from a human perspective sung by our Lord's mother in Luke chapter 1 verses 46 and 47. It's just the opening words of Mary's song. She says, My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in, listen, God, my Savior. God, my Savior. Even his mom couldn't get away with that in her Christmas song. It starts there. So with all this music we're talking about and these reminders, don't let the meaning ever escape you. God, your Savior. Jesus is your Savior. I'm encouraging you in the next seven days to worship as you've never worshipped before. And, by the way, this intense worship can carry through the rest of the year, too. Spurgeon told his congregation that. He preached a Christmas sermon entitled, The Great Birthday. And he said this to the congregation at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. He said, You may keep Jesus' birthday all the year round. For it were better to say he was born every day of the year than on any one day. For truly, in a spiritual sense, Jesus is born every day of every year year in some person's heart. And that to us is a far weightier point than the observation of, quote, holy days. He's right. He's right. So I've spoken from my heart to yours this morning don't forget to remember carry with you into the next five eight days these reminders and all the gifts don't forget gods and all the hustle don't forget the hush and all of the fellowship don't forget your family and all the rejoicing don't forget the reality that the lost need to hear and accept this message. And then again, with all the music, don't forget the meaning. Let's don't get to December 26th, a week from tomorrow, and say, ah, I missed it again. I was so busy. Father, thank you for this time. And Lord, it's been more pastoral in the challenge from the word on this special day But I pray that these passages and these reminders will be nonetheless urgent as we crest now into the Christmas week. I pray for those under the sound of my voice who've never accepted your free gift of eternal life. May this be the day, the afternoon, the week where it goes from just being notes on paper and greeting cards that it would become real, open their eyes to the truths of the gospel, to the identity of Jesus Christ, and the work of Christ on their behalf and give them faith to believe it and repentance to turn towards it away from their sin. What a year this will be. But for those who are already my brothers and sisters in Christ, may this be the most intensely, the most, the most um, planned, the most fruitful week in our lives of embracing the truths that we say we celebrate. Help us to remember this year, not to forget. In Jesus' name we pray.